welcome and thank you for tuning in to the Grace Assembly of God Sermon Podcast. Grace exists to help people discover a life of purpose in Jesus Christ through discipleship and serving one another. If you would like additional information, visit us online at www.graceofbelair.com. Again, thank you for joining us and enjoy this week's message. All right, good morning, everyone. How's everyone doing today? Good. Well, I always enjoy the opportunity I get to, uh, you know, be able to speak before you all. So, Pastor Paul, thank you for the opportunity. Um, We are continuing in our summer series called Road Trip Through the Bible. And, you know, the summertime, people love to travel, right? How many of you enjoy traveling, going on vacation, right? Some of you may go to the same destination over and over again because you you love it. You love being able to go to the same place. You know that same restaurant will be there. That same place that you stay at is there. You know what to expect, and it will be a good time. And some of us, right, you like to go visit new places. Am I right? How many of you are the new place people, like send me to Rome or something? I don't know. I haven't been there yet. It's on the bucket list. But, you know, we thought as a staff it would be really cool this summer to take time to go through these different stories and different characters in the Bible and, you know, stuff that maybe are familiar to us. Maybe we grew up listening to these stories or maybe they're stories that we never really stopped to look at. Um, so, you know, our, our heart is that, you know, you guys would just follow along with us and that, uh, you know, you would learn uh, a few things and just see how God is speaking through these different characters and stories And as Pastor Paul uh, had mentioned, today I'm going to be talking on the character and the story of Jonah. And now when I, when you hear me mention the name Jonah, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Fish, whale, yes. He is famous, okay, for being swallowed by a fish, okay? If you haven't heard that story, it's pretty, it's pretty crazy, right? And Right, because it's so like out of this world, because it's such a crazy thing, right? Someone being swallowed by a fish and being spit out, it kind of becomes the focal point of the story, right? There's a lot of children's stories and movies that are inspired uh, by the story of Jonah. And, you know, I got to say that when I was a kid, one of my favorite movies was Jonah, a Veggie Tales movie, okay? Yes, a few applauses there. If you haven't seen it, I mean, I haven't watched it in a long time. So, but anyways, it's, it's great. So you have to, you have to watch it. Um, but here's the thing, right? Sometimes we can look at this and be like, oh, I know that story. That's the guy that gets swallowed by, the, by a fish. And, you know, and kind of we move on to the next story in the Bible. We move on to the next thing. But there's so much more to this story. It is much more than a children's story, right? It is much more than a guy being swallowed by a fish and being spit back out and surviving and yay, right? It's so much more than that. And the goal for us today is to get a deeper look into the heart of God and that we would check our hearts. So turn to your neighbor this morning and say, check your heart. Check your heart. Yeah, if you follow the comedian John Christ, he has a whole thing on that, but that's not where the inspiration comes for. It really was like going through this thing. I was like, man, check your heart really is the perfect title for this. So we are going to check our hearts this morning. Okay, so we're gonna so we're gonna spend most of our time in Jonah chapter four. Okay, but before we get there, we're gonna kind of you know just do some backstory here. We're gonna go through a couple of instances uh, in this story. And and here's the thing about the book of Jonah. 
it is so upside down and backwards. And here's what I mean by that. Everything you would think is going to happen or everything that you, you know, every character you look at and you think they're going to respond, they do the complete opposite. All right? So as the reader, you're left like, oh my gosh, like I have no idea what to expect. All right? Sometimes you, we make conclusions in our head like, oh, I already know where this is going. Definitely not the case here. Okay? So Let's talk about some of these instances, okay? And there's three characters that we're going to look at before we get into chapter four. So the first is the character of Jonah, right? In chapter one, we are introduced to Jonah and we discover that he is a prophet in the Old Testament. Now, how do we know that? Two things. The first thing is that in the book of 2 Kings, that's where we first meet Jonah, right? He's a prophet under Jeroboam II, who is a horrible king in Israel, okay? Okay. So we know that this is a legit person, right? He's mentioned somewhere else in the Bible, okay? And then the second thing is this. In Jonah chapter 1, verse 1, it says this. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. And it's very important because if you're a Jewish person reading this book, okay, that those first few words, now the word of the Lord came to, you automatically know that you're reading a prophetical book. All right, in the Bible, there are several, several different categories of books, right? There's the historical books. There is the wisdom and poetic books like Psalms, Proverbs, things like that. And Jonah is found in the prophetical book section of the Bible, okay? So if you're Jew and you're reading this and you read those first few lines, you're like, bang, got it, Jonah the prophet. So here's what I mean when I'm saying this is so upside down and backwards. Because when you think of prophet, Right? When you're introduced to the very first person in this book and you think of prophet, you think of good guy. Yeah, okay, great. Jonah the prophet, good guy. God gives him a word to travel to a place called Nineveh, deliver a word. But what do we see happen in, in verse 3 of chapter 1? Right, We're three verses into this book. And it says this, But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. This is Jonah. Everyone say, hi, Jonah. Right? Man of God. Oh, man, he's the good guy. And then you find out, like, wow, he's rebellious. He is running. He thinks he can escape the presence of the Lord. And, you know, you're kind of like, oh, okay, this is interesting, right? No other book has ever, you know, started that way. So Jonah gets on a ship, and he heads in the complete opposite direction. And I encourage you, go on Google later and search, you know, Tarshish, and Jonah's travel to Tarshish, Tarshish, and you will see that they are completely in opposite directions in the known world at the time, okay? So this is, you know, the first instance that we see is backwards. Here's the second instance, Okay. Jonah gets onto the ship and he is introduced to pagan sailors, okay? These are people who have never worshipped Yahweh before. They've never worshipped God. And we're going to see something cool about them here. So as they're traveling to Tarshish, God sends a huge storm, okay? The storm was so bad that, it, that the Bible says that it threatened to completely dismantle the ship. All right, that's how severe it was. So these sailors, they're doing everything they can to lighten the load so that the ship would stay afloat, right? Like probably, I'm not a sailor, but that would probably be my first thing to do too, right? And get, kind of make things lighter. So they're doing that. Nothing's working. 
Where do we find Jonah? Jonah is sleeping at the bottom of the ship, right? He does, he's not even aware. Well, you know, he probably is aware of what's going on, but he doesn't care, right? He is just, in his mind, he's set on leaving. So finally, the pagan sailors, you know, they go to him and they're like, Jonah, what are you doing, man? Come on, why don't you wake up, pray to your God or something because we're praying to our gods and nothing is happening. Maybe if you pray, something will happen. Nothing's happening. So finally, what they do is they do this thing called casting lots, which is basically like drawing straws. And it turns out that who draws the straw? It's Jonah. And, and the reason why they did that is to see, well, whose fault was it really that all this is happening? right? And it, and it lands on Jonah, and finally he confesses and he tells them, I serve, you know, the God who made the land, the God who made the ocean, right? And I'm running away from him. And they're like, well, why didn't you tell us that in the first place? So what are we to, to do, Jonah? And he says, well, if you toss me over the, over the ship, then, you know, you guys will be saved. And you would almost think, right, that they would do that, right? There are these rugged pagan sailors. All right, get rid of him. He's the problem. But no, how they handle this is, you know, it's pretty great. They, they do their best to row to shore. They don't want to toss him. They don't want blood on their hands. So they're like, well, you know, we're going to do our best to row to shore. And as they try to do that, the storm gets worse and worse. And then finally they pray and they're like, please, Lord, don't put his blood on our hands. They toss him over, overboard and then the storm stops. Crazy, right? And here's the really cool thing. As soon as the storm stops, the pagan sailors turn to God and they pray. They worship him. It's funny because the man of God is the one who, you know, and you almost think, right, when Jonah says, toss me overboard, you almost think it's valiant when you look at that upon first glance. You almost think, oh man, he's going to risk his own life for these guys, okay? We, we're going to notice later on in the story how many times Jonah asked God to kill him, okay? So Jonah is not being valiant. He's not being like, oh, guys, take my life. No, he's like, listen, toss me overboard because I ain't going back. Like, you know, kill me, get rid of me, do whatever you want, okay? He's being selfish. He's being stubborn. And then we see these pagan sailors who have never worked, don't know God, right? Who in this instance where they see the hand of God moving and the storm ceases, they turn and they worship him. You're reading this and you're like, whoa, this is backwards. This is upside down. And then here's the third group of people. Here's the third instance that we're going to see is the Ninevites. Okay, so Jonah is being sent to Nineveh. And let's talk a little bit about that. Nineveh is the capital city to the nation of Assyria. And this is really important because Assyria was like the superpower during this point in history, right? In the known world at the time, they were like that superpower. They're the ones that went into all the villages, completely conquered the land and all things like that. And they were horrible, cruel, and evil people, right? For those of you who can stomach this, if you want to do some research on their forms of torture, do it, and you will see what I mean by horrible, cruel, and evil. These people were awful, and God is sending Jonah there. Right? God is sending Jonah to the enemy, Nineveh. And, you know, to put this in perspective for us, it's almost as if, like, God were to ask a Jew to fly over to Nazi Germany and to share a word that God has for them. That's kind of the, the perspective here, right? 
This is like, he's not just getting sent to some land and, oh, okay, but there is, man, these are, these are horrible people that he's being sent to. So, right, Jonah gets swallowed by the fish. He gets spit out. And then God asks him again, Jonah, I'm calling you to go and to deliver this message to them. And then, you know, Jonah finally goes. Yay, Jonah, you did it. Took you long enough, but he is going. And he goes and he delivers this word and he preaches in Hebrew. It's a five-word sermon. A.K.A. the worst sermon you'll ever hear. All right, it's eight words in our Bibles. Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. So he's walking around the city of Nineveh saying that over and over again. Notice there is no mention of God in this sermon. There is no message of repentance. All he is saying, 40 days and you guys are toast. 40 days and you guys are done. Right, so as the reader, as you're reading this, you're like, okay, well, well, you put great effort into that message. Nothing's going to happen. The complete opposite happens. 120,000 people in the most horrible city ever, okay, turn their hearts to Yahweh. Jonah is a super small book. It's 58 verses. I encourage you to read it today, all right, and just see that. But, but the people are so moved and even the king himself is saying, oh my gosh, maybe if we repent, maybe if we turn from our wicked ways, God will have mercy on us. And you're like amazed. You're like, wow, a five-word sermon, and this is what happens? And that's an encouragement to you know, preachers and pastors out there. Because sometimes you finish a sermon, and you're like, oh gosh, that was so bad. You know, this is worse, and God used that to save 120,000 people. So pretty cool. Right, But the whole 120,000 people turn from their wicked ways. They fast. They put sackcloth and ashes on, right? Because that represents what's going on on the inside, right? That they are truly repentant. And they even have their cows fast. They're that serious that they're even going to make their animals fast, right? It's crazy. Totally upside down. It's interesting because we see all these things where we're expecting the result to be one thing, but it ends up being another. Then we come to chapter four and we see that Jonah's expecting God to act in a way, in a specific way, but God doesn't. You know, Jonah is expecting God to completely destroy the city of Nineveh. He, he's expecting him to do that, but God shows compassion instead. And, uh, and I forgot to do this earlier, but the, our main idea for, for today's message is, is this, right? Why don't we put that up? God's unchanging love calls us to check our hearts. And so now we're going to start to see more of this love that God has. Let's read, let's go ahead and start reading in chapter 4 together. We're going to read uh, verses 1 through 5. I know your notes say one, two, three, but one through three, but we're going to read um, the first five verses here. Try not to laugh when I read this. But it di- displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are gracious, you are a gracious God and merciful 
slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Pretty pathetic, right? (laughs) It is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Right, God enters into this conversation now. Do you do well to be angry? And what's Jonah's response? Nothing. Jonah went, verse five, Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Jonah is burning with anger, right? He's not just angry, right? It displeased him greatly because God had compassion on the Ninevites. You know, you would almost think that Jonah's heart would be softened after seeing everything that God did up to this point, right? That God saved him from the fish, right? That God still decided to use him, that God just used Jonah to deliver a word that changed the hearts of 120,000 people. Like, just imagine that, 120,000 people. You would almost think that something would soften in Jonah, but instead the prophet throws a pity party. And for you parents out there, you, can, you might be able to expect your children, right, to throw pity parties, but a grown man? Like, come on. This whole story is just, ah, it's crazy. And then, you know, so God enters into this conversation with Jonah to talk about compassion and justice. Jonah finally reveals to us, right, the reason why he's fleeing to go to Tarshish instead of Nineveh. He does not want God to to relent from destroying them. He doesn't. He doesn't want to see God save these people. He does not want to be a part of their salvation, right? Remember, Nineveh is the enemy, this enemy territory. Why would I want to be a part of God, God, you saving them? Jonah's belief is that the wicked should receive their just reward. And and in this case, it's destruction. Right, Jonah is, is going off the belief that, God, yes, you will deal with the wicked and you will deal with destruction. And that's what Jonah's waiting for, right? In verse five, he, right, he sees the people repent, but what does he do after they've repented? He goes and he sits by the city to do what? To see what God's gonna do, to see how God is going to destroy them. He is holding out and hoping that, oh God, maybe you're still gonna give to them what they deserve, And it's funny because, you know, Jonah probably thinks God's not coming through on his word, right? What was the message that God asked him to deliver? It said, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be, in this last word, overthrown. Now, this word overthrown, and we're going to do some Hebrew here, okay? The, the Hebrew word for overthrown is chapak. Hapak, yeah, there you go. Try that. And this literally means to turn over. 
okay? And, you know, words, they can mean one thing. They can mean multiple different things, right? So there's this negative sense of the word hapak, which is destruction, right? This turning over, that they will be flipped up on their sides and they will be destroyed, right? So when Jonah's preaching, he is believing, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown, a.k.a. meaning destruction, but then there's another side to this word, hapak. Because turning over, yes, can mean destruction, but turning over can also mean transformation. Right? Turning from your wicked ways. A turning over. So God's brilliant here because he sticks to his word. He sticks to his word because he says, yet 40 days in Nineveh will be overthrown. Well, they are overthrown. They are overturned, but it's their hearts that are turning. Cool, right? Where Jonah's thinking of their destruction, God is looking at their heart transformation. And the first thing that we're going to talk about today is that God is unlimited. Isaiah 55 says that God's ways are higher than my ways and his thoughts are higher than my thoughts meaning that you and I, we are limited. God is not limited. God sees, he knows the bigger picture. We do not. We don't. Jonah's view of God's grace and compassion was that it belonged to him and the people of Israel. Right? They were God's people. So Jonah's saying, hey, like, I will accept your grace, Lord, as it comes to me, right? When it comes to me, it's fine and well, but not for somebody else, not for them. They're wicked, Lord. Everything Jonah wanted God to be toward him, he didn't want God to be toward his enemies. But God shows Jonah that his grace extends far beyond that. Right? God's grace extends far beyond that. And it shows, right, how constant our God is. Jonah, it's funny because Jonah, as he's talking with God, he accuses God of this. Can we put up verse 2? He says this, right? If, you, uh, if we go down to that third line, right? God, like, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Right? He's accusing God of that. Isn't that the nicest accusation that you've ever heard? I would love if someone came up to me and be like, you know what I can't stand about you? You're so loving and merciful. You're so patient. Gosh, it drives me crazy. This is basically what Jonah is saying to God. This statement, right, it's a very famous statement in the Old Testament and shown multiple times, and it just shows, right, that there is no limit to God's grace. There's no limit to God's love. Jonah had God in this box that, no, only for these people, but God is saying, no, I'm not limited to that. God is unlimited. And let's stop and think about this for a minute because sometimes we can read through these things, right? And we often hear, okay, God, you're gracious, you're merciful. But to really stop and think about that, to really stop and to know that there is no limit 
to God's grace, to God's love, that there is no limit to his patience, right? That he is slow to anger. What does that mean? He's patient. He was patient with the Ninevites, right? These these horrible people who are, you know, going, pillaging lands and villages and torturing people, right? God was patient with them and showed compassion to them. God is patient with Jonah, right? This whole story, Jonah has just been stubborn and awful, but God is patient with Jonah. If I were God, I would have left Jonah in the belly of the whale. I'd have been like, okay, fine. You know what? You get what you deserve. That's why I'm not God. But God is patient. And it's so hard to wrap our minds around, right, that there's no limit to God's patience. No matter how many times, maybe like, I mess up or how many times that, you know, I fail him. God is patient with me and that will never run out. Gosh. You know, sometimes like, you know, like growing up as a child, you know, and you, and you do something wrong and then you're like, oh man, like I did this again. Dad's going to be so upset. Oh man, he's going to, Take my video games away. He's for sure going to punish me. He's going to do something, whatever. But man, God has no limit to his patience. And the God that we are reading about here is the same God that we serve today. He is patient with you and I. And we often see in our culture, right, that God is this mean and powerful deity who sits up in heaven and is just waiting for you to fail who is just waiting to make your life miserable. But what do we see here? It's the complete opposite, right? Our God is compassionate and loving and merciful, and he is slow to anger, right? There's no limit. I love this next part here. There's no limit to his steadfast love. You know, we talked about this, and we're going through the book of Ruth on Wednesday nights in Regenerate, and we talk about this, this word for love called chesed, okay? And chesed means this covenant loyalty, right? It's a love that is loyal. So when Jonah's saying, like, you're abounding in steadfast love, it means you're abounding in this loyal love. That no matter what I do, no matter how many times I fail, God, you're loyal to me. And the most beautiful, I think one of, you know, the most beautiful pictures of this in the Old Testament is when God makes a covenant with Abraham and they have this ritual, right? They have like the sacrificed animals on the side and what both parties are supposed to do, they're to walk down the center of these, you know, sacrificed animals. And when you both walk down there, you're making a covenant with one another, right? That I will hold up my end of the deal. You will hold up your end of the deal. But here's the the crazy thing is that God puts Abraham into this deep sleep and God himself goes down this, goes down between the sacrificed animals, meaning that I'm making a covenant with you, Abraham. That means I'm gonna hold my end of the deal. But here's the thing. I know that you're human and I know that you're gonna fail. And even when you fail, I'm still gonna remain faithful to you. Right? Covenant love. 
And, and this is the love that we we're talking about here, this steadfast love. It's unlimited. It's unconditional. God's love is unconditional. You know that it's, it's so hard to think because, right, so, so many times we think we need to earn love, but God just loves. He just loves you, the individual, not because of what you can do for him, but he just loves never runs out. I know that this love isn't just for you and for me, right? And this is where Jonah had it wrong. And to correct him, God goes on to show him this object lesson. This is our second point. It's the object lesson. There's nothing like a good old object lesson and visual to help us better understand something. So let's continue to read. In verse 6, so even though Jonah's giving God the silent treatment, God's not done with him. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant, but when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. Deja vu. But God said to Jonah, right? And he asked this again, but do you do, you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? And then the book just ends. I talk about an upside-down book, right? We don't even get to know how it ends. It just ends with a question. God is just brilliant here because notice what he's doing. He is getting Jonah's mind off of the Ninevites for a moment. He's getting Jonah's mind off of that and onto something else, onto another creation. So God, what does he do? He creates this plant to save Jonah from the heat or to save Jonah from discomfort. Notice that. He sends a worm to attack the plant so that it withers. And finally, God sends this scorching heat to come at Jonah. So he just squeezes Jonah enough to get him to talk. And he does. And he just full on explodes and tells God about how angry he is once again. And notice that he is so miserable this whole entire story. But the one time that Jonah is happy is when there's a plant that's giving him shade. Only time he is glad in this whole thing. And when God takes that away, Jonah just blows up. He says, God, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God puts him in his place here. And he says, again, do you have reason to be angry? And Jonah thinks that he does. But then God continues, right? Did you create the plant? No. Did you labor for the plant? No. 
let me get this right. You've only known the plant for one day, right? Yes. Jonah only cared for the plant because of what the plant had to offer Jonah. Not because it was God's creation, right? If Jonah was just walking down the, the road and saw a plant that wasn't doing anything for him, he wouldn't care about the plant. But because of what the plant offered him, he cared. But this is where God is revealing a piece of his heart to Jonah. God has compassion on the Ninevites because they are his creation. Right, they're his creation. We know this because the Ninevites didn't do anything to deserve God's compassion. Right, God wasn't waiting like, okay, well, I'm going to wait a few days and uh, if they do something good today, then I will send a prophet to go talk to them. No. God saw what, what they were doing and he had compassion for them and he sent, he sent someone to go talk to them. They were evil and cruel, yet God shows compassion. And think about this for a minute, right? Talking about creation. God crafted each of those 120,000 people. God crafted each individual person. He knows their name. He knows the amount of hair on their heads. He knows their strengths. He knows their weaknesses. He knows everything about them. How could God not pity them? How can God not show compassion? And that's what God is trying to get through to Jonah. How can I not pity them? Not, God loves us not because of what we can do for him, not because of the family that we came from, not because of the school that we went to, not because of the job that we have. But he just loves. And it's not reserved to a specific group of people, but he has compassion on all. And this is such a beautiful picture of what's to come. Remember, we're in the Old Testament, so Jesus hasn't come and died on the cross yet. But 800 years later, God sends his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for you and for me and for humanity. Romans 5, 8 says it perfectly. It says, God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Do you see that? Not because of what we did to deserve his grace, because we will never do anything to deserve his grace. There's nothing, there's not enough brownie points that we can get to God so that we receive more grace. No, but while we were yet sinners, God sent Jesus and Jesus died for you and for me. Before I even knew about Jesus, he died for me. He died because God loves. And I'm gonna invite the band to come up onto the stage. But we see that through this object lesson, God changes Jonah's perspective on compassion. Right, it's interesting because we mentioned this before, but the book ends with a question. We don't see how Jonah responds to the question, right? We don't see that Jonah quit the temper tantrums or stopped being a baby, right? I would like to know what happened, but we don't. We don't. Just God leaves us with a question. And this question isn't just meant for Jonah, but it's meant for all of us. It is meant for each and every one of us. 
You know, we read about Jonah and we see the way that he acts and it's almost laughable, right? Almost like, man, this guy really is horrible. But the character of Jonah, it's supposed to be like a mirror for us. It's supposed to be like we're looking in a mirror because Jonah represents humanity. Jonah represents what we're like at our worst. Not any of us are above Jonah, right? But each of us, right, we we are all sinners. It's meant for us to look to, to see, like it's looking in the mirror and that we are examining ourselves and that we are checking our hearts. Right, we're always growing and God is always working. He's always working in our hearts. So here are some questions for us today. And this is where I'm gonna ask, you know, us. And I, you know, even at, I was praying last night, I was like, God, like, Search my heart, even. Search my heart. Because I don't have it all together. But should we not have compassion with each other? Should we not have compassion on our neighbors, our enemies? Do we withhold grace and compassion? Do we think that we are more deserving of God's grace than others? And if we do believe that God's grace and compassion are for everyone, do, we, do our actions show it? It's one thing to, to know something and to say something, but how do we act on it? God is inviting us to see through his lens of compassion and grace. Compassion and grace isn't reserved to the people that are easy to love and easy to get along with, but we show grace and compassion to others because they are God's creation they are God's creation. And God's asking us to follow in his footsteps in love. You know, one of the most touching stories of God's grace and compassion, and we're almost done here. One of the most touching stories that I've seen and witnessed in my life was my old youth pastor's parents. And 14 years ago, it was actually July 10th, uh, 14 years ago, my youth pastor's parents got into this horrible car accident. They just came from a funeral and they were going to get a cup of coffee somewhere. And as they were leaving the coffee shop, some young man blew through a red light, hit them head on, and the mother passed away instantly. She died. Yeah, I can't even imagine the pain there. So, you know, a few days later, they have the memorial service. And, and this woman, she was the, like, you know, I didn't meet her because she, she had attended a different church. And, but people often said this about her. She was the type of woman that, you know, you meet her for the first time and it's like you've known her forever, right? She just made you feel so loved and so welcome. She was so young, right? I can't even imagine how the father and husband must have felt the anger, the bitterness. And at this memorial service, this young man who, who, who killed this woman, he showed up. He showed up to the memorial service. And, and you, you would almost think like, what are you doing here? You're the reason why any, all of this is happening. Right, you, should, you shouldn't be here. And the father had every right in his mind to say, you know what, you are not deserving of grace. Like, he, the father, if we could say for anyone, we could say, man, this guy has every right to be angry. This guy has every right to have even feelings of hatred toward this young man. 
because he took like his most precious thing from him. But instead, the father invited this young man onto the stage and in front of everyone, he forgave him. He forgave him and he said, God loves you. You know, and this is not a made up story. And this is not because this, guy, this man is such a nice man that he was able to do that. That's the love of God at work. No human, come on, no human being can do that. Can look like a murderer straight in the eye and say, hey, I forgive you because I'm such a good person. No, that's the love of God that's at work. And I have to ask myself, do I love like that? Do, do I, if I was, do I have grace and compassion like that? Do I withhold, when I'm upset with someone, do I withhold grace because I think that they're not deserving of it? Well, let me tell you, I'm not deserving of the grace that God shows towards me. We are not deserving of the God that grace shows us, but yet he gave it to us anyway because he loves. And this is the point is that we examine our hearts today, that we check our hearts today and see like, am I loving the way that God loves? Am I loving the way that Christ loves? And I know that I don't know the situations in here. And I know you may be saying, well, Pastor Daniel, you don't know what I've been through. I know I don't know. But here's what I do know, is that while we were yet sinners, God sent his son Jesus to die for you and me. That God extended grace and he extended love. And he's asking us to follow for what reason, right? It's for our benefit. It's for our benefit and it's so, so that we can make, so that we can show the glory of Christ wherever we go. And so that God's glory would be on display. And that's what it's all about. So we're gonna sing through the song and I'm gonna invite the prayer teams to come forward. And I want us to take, I want us to take a few moments and you know, and even as we sing, you don't need to stand up. If you wanna sit down and, and just think and, and check your heart for a moment, I encourage you to do that. But this is a moment where we really like, I don't want us to just walk out here because we have all these other plans, but I want us to really think about this. God, what are you speaking to me? God, what are you, because you might not be sharing the same thing for all of us. Maybe you need to forgive someone today. Maybe you need to let that grudge go once and for all. Maybe you need to think about how your actions are and your beliefs are coming together. Maybe you need to see, God, am I actually doing that? Maybe some of you need to ask God for forgiveness. I don't know what it is don't miss this chance in this moment because this is such a beautiful moment. Outside will be there in, ten, in five minutes, right? But take this moment, okay? Prayer teams come forward. And the last thing that I'm gonna say, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, maybe you're hearing this and you're like, man, like, you know, you're talking about this grace and this love and I don't even know if I've received that grace. Can I tell you that it's for you today? It's not reserved just for our churchgoers and whatever, but it's for everyone. And if you're wanting to know, you know, what, that, what, a, what a life of following Jesus looks like, what a life of receiving his grace and compassion looks like, I invite you to come and talk to one of these prayer team members here. Or even, you know, we have Pastor Paul, we have Pastor Bobby over there and myself, but we would love to talk to you about that. God loves you. So we're gonna sing this song about how God's love goes on and on and respond how you feel, whether that's by standing and singing, whether that's sitting and, and examining your heart. Let's take a few moments here.